Let's talk finance. Wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot? Yahoo Finance does just that. It consolidates your portfolio views and offers expert analysis, making it easier to manage your investments. Let's not beat around the bush. You want to grow your portfolio, fight inflation, pay off debts, and achieve financial freedom. Yahoo Finance provides the news, data, and tools to make that happen. You may think you've covered all the bases, savings, researching, and investing smartly. But to truly excel, you need Yahoo Finance in your corner. A holistic perspective is crucial for success, and Yahoo Finance ensures you have it. With a massive community of over 90 million users monthly, Yahoo Finance is here to guide you on your path to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. In my early days, I faced a pivotal moment in my career. Instead of following the herd into traditional finance, I charted my own course. Despite skepticism, I founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility. Through perseverance, I established myself as a leading voice in finance, proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed. To get what you want, sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. That's what Harry's did. Seeing people tricked by expensive razors, Harry's took a stand. Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. The Peter Schiff Show. I'd like to thank Keeps for sponsoring today's episode of the Peter Schiff Show podcast. Keeps makes easy and affordable hair loss treatment for men. You can receive your first month free by going to keeps.com slash gold. And I'd also like to thank Wondry. In the newest season of Wondry's Business Wars podcast, it's Instagram versus TikTok. They track the war between the two social media giants. You can listen to the new season on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app. The big story on the week continues to be the ongoing weakness of the U.S. dollar and also the weakness in the Treasury market, which I think is going to be a much bigger story if yields really start to break out. But let's focus on the dollar first. The dollar index, which did manage to close out the week with a slight gain today. Maybe some of the traders were trying to book some profits heading into the weekend, but the dollar index closed with a 90 handle. 90.8 90.814 was the close. I think the lowest we got was just below 90.5. I'm looking at 90 spot 476. Remember, we closed out last week just under 92, 91.87. And the week before, we closed with a 94 handle. So we have been steadily losing value in the US dollar. I think against the Swiss franc, we're right about at a six year low in the U.S. dollar. 
But this is really a harbinger of much weaker days to come for the dollar. I think it's going to finish out the year particularly weak, and it is going to lead to an even weaker 2021, which I think could be the weakest year ever for the U.S. dollar. And I know the dollar's had a lot of weak years, so that's saying a lot, although I don't know that 21 is going to end up being the weakest year ever because the dollar could be even weaker in 2022. It is a long way down and I expect the dollar to complete this journey and ultimately end it in a crisis. But it's not just the U.S. dollar that is falling. It is dollar-denominated bonds. Look at what's happening to U.S. treasuries. I know the yield may not sound like much, but the 10-year closed out at 097 you know, still a very low yield, but realize where we're coming from. We were a lot lower uh, last week and the week before and the week before and the week before. Rates continue to inch higher. The 30-year now is at 1.73. And I think maybe once the 10-year gets above 1%, which we could be at next week, this could ignite some serious selling in the bond market. And what's even more concerning or should be concerning, but it seems like it's not, is that bond yields continued to back up today, despite the fact that we got a much weaker than expected November non-farm payrolls report. And I'm going to get to the November jobs report a little bit later in the podcast, but suffice it to say, it was much weaker than what the markets had expected. Now, normally when you get weak economic data, you get a rally in the bond market, But today, we got a sell-off. And what that tells me is that the bond market is worried about stagflation. They're not just looking at the economic weakness. They're looking at the monetary policy response to that economic weakness, meaning that if the economy gets weaker, that means we get more money printing. We get more inflation. And that is what the bond market is afraid of. Look at inflation expectations. They're now hitting two-year highs. And what that means is that investors are more worried about inflation now than they were before the pandemic started. Remember, when the pandemic first got going, everybody was talking about it as a deflationary uh, event. And I kept saying, no, it's not deflation. It is inflation because what the pandemic is going to do is disrupt supply chains. It's going to lead to less production of goods and services. At the same time, it's going to lead to even more money printing by the Fed as they try to compensate for the decline in the economy by printing more money. In fact, that's what's happened. A lot of people who are no longer working and earning paychecks are sitting at home and collecting government checks. But instead of contributing goods and services in exchange for their wages, they contribute nothing and the Federal Reserve just prints up money, which the government mails them in an envelope. And so all of this was an inflationary phenomenon. I kept saying that ultimately prices are going to go up as a result of this pandemic, not down. And now we're starting to see that happen. The market is sensing that happening. And in fact, if you look at the inflation-sensitive stocks, Uh, industrial material stocks, uh, agricultural stocks. A lot of these stocks that we own are hitting 52-week highs. Energy stocks are going up. They're not at 52-week highs. Oil prices are still below where they were prior to the pandemic, although 
I think by next year, all the declines in the price of oil could end up being erased. But in the meantime, look at copper, look at nickel, look at zinc, look at other agricultural commodities. These prices are already responding to the inflationary pressures that are already built into the pipeline that are only going to get stronger and stronger. Ironically, the one segment of the market that's not really being a beneficiary of these rising inflation expectations are the gold stocks. And that may seem a bit counterintuitive because you would think, hey, gold, that is the single best beneficiary of inflation. If people are worried about inflation, why aren't they buying gold? There's a couple of reasons why the gold stocks are not reacting. First of all, we already had a huge rally in gold stocks earlier in the year. So I would imagine that there is some profit taking on that trade as some people are rolling out of the precious metals into the industrial metals and other more economically sensitive uh, inflation hedges. Because remember, one of the reasons that a lot of people rush into gold is because they wanted a safe haven from the pandemic, from the uncertainty surrounding uh, the economy or the market. Remember, stocks were collapsing. And so people went into gold as a safe haven from market volatility. Well, people no longer care about a safe haven from that. Nobody's worried about the market going down. The market's going up. The market's hitting new highs. Nobody wants a safe haven from the market. Everybody wants to be in the market, right? And so therefore, they can sell their safe haven assets to get more exposed uh, to the market. So they want to take risk on, so they're taking the safe havens off. But ultimately, people are going to realize that they need a safe haven from inflation. They don't need a safe haven from the stock market going down. They need a safe haven from the dollar going down. And ultimately, gold and gold stocks are going to be a much better inflation hedge than just having industrial metals or energy stocks or agriculture stocks or other type of cyclical stocks that people think are going to benefit from inflation. But another reason that I think people are a little gun-shy about jumping into the gold mining stocks is that the backup in yields, bond yields rising, kind of like instinctively has been a negative for gold. And the way gold investors typically react to a pickup in inflation is that they believe that this is going to lead to higher interest rates because the Federal Reserve is going to fight the increase in inflation by raising interest rates. And so they're not as worried about how that might affect raw material prices, especially if they think the economy is going to be recovering. And so demand for those uh, resources is going to be picking up. So they're not as concerned about how the Fed's inflation fighting may hurt those type of commodities, but they are concerned about how it would affect gold because gold is typically seen as being hurt by an increase in interest rates. So it's almost like a reflexive move. Rates are backing up. The Fed is going to tighten because there's more inflation. Oh, now it's time to sell gold. Maybe you buy gold on anticipation of an inflationary threat. But when that threat has finally manifested itself uh, to the public, now the Fed has to come and start fighting it by raising rates. And so now the price of gold is going to go down. Except that's not going to happen this time. The Fed is not going to respond to an increase in inflation expectations the way it typically has, because it can't. The Fed is not going to fight inflation. The Fed is going to surrender to inflation. Inflation is going to win. And that means the dollar is going to lose. And so gold is going to take off. 
But one of the things that really is amazing to me, and this ties in what's happening in the bond market as well, is the degree to which investors have accepted the idea that even though inflation expectations are driving bond yields higher, that we don't have to worry about rates moving too high, that the Federal Reserve will not let that happen, that even if interest rates really start to rise due to fears of increasing inflation, the Federal Reserve is going to stop rates from rising by increasing the amount of quantitative easing in order to kind of put a cap on long-term interest rates. So as interest rates back up because investors want out of these low-yielding bonds because they realize that inflation is going to erode away their value, the Federal Reserve, in order to keep interest rates from rising, is going to print a lot more money. And so we don't have to worry because unlike increasing inflation expectations in the past that may have led to a backup in interest rates that would be problematic for the market or the housing or the economy in general, we don't have to worry about that anymore because the Fed is committed that it is going to keep interest rates down no matter how high inflation expectations rise. Now, this is a huge problem. It's amazing that the markets or investors can just gloss over this because if inflation expectations are rising, the Federal Reserve is supposed to lean against that increase by raising interest rates and tightening policy. That's how you fight inflation. You tighten. But if the Fed is going to respond to inflation by creating even more inflation, if the markets are worried about inflation, and because they're worried about inflation, they're selling treasuries, which is putting upward pressure on interest rates. If the Federal Reserve response to investors' concerns about inflation is to create more inflation, is to print even more money to prevent those increasing inflation expectations from bleeding over into higher interest rates, well, now investors are going to be even more concerned than they were before. The inflation expectations are going to get higher. So instead of dampening those expectations, the Fed is basically throwing gasoline on the fire. And now investors are going to expect even more inflation. So that's going to put even more downward pressure uh, on bonds and upward pressure on yields, which means now the Fed has to create even more inflation to try to artificially suppress those rates. So this is a massive spiral. The market should be scared. Instead, they just accept this. There's this incredible complacency that this can work. But of course, what this really shows is that the Fed is at the end of its rope here. I mean, this is the end of the line uh, for the Fed that we are on the verge of a monetary crisis, of a sovereign debt crisis. Because when the Fed has to acknowledge the fact that it can't fight inflation, that it has to surrender and inflation wins, you know, they're done. I mean, they've been all bark and no bite when it's come to uh, talking about their ability to fight inflation. But as long as they didn't actually have any inflation to fight, they can continue to bark. But now when they actually comes time where they need to bite, because now you can see the building uh, increase in these expectations. And it's not just people expecting more inflation. They're seeing it. They're experiencing it. They're watching prices rise. If the Fed just continues to play lip service to that, and in fact, now the markets don't even expect the Fed to bite. In fact, the Fed isn't even barking at this point. They're just accepting the increase in inflation. They're actually welcoming it. It's actually like this is good news that people expect more inflation. So we are setting ourselves up 
for just an implosion in the U.S. dollar. And the media, the financial media, looking at all this information, seeing the dollar going down. And again, remember, everybody was bullish on the dollar when the year began. And certainly when COVID first started, people were expecting uh, a flight to safety in the dollar. What was I saying? I was saying back then that that was a head fake that what we were doing was decisively dollar negative. And now those predictions are panning out and this decline for the dollar is just getting started. And the implications uh, for the economy, for the markets are ominous, yet everybody continues to whistle past this mother of all graveyards. Let me get into the economic data that came out today. And you know, before I even talk about the jobs data that gets all the headlines. I want to mention the trade deficit, which gets none of the headlines. I mean, nobody even talks about it anymore. We did get the October trade deficit. This is the unified deficit in goods and services. And the deficit for September was $63.9 billion. And they did revise that a little bit lower to 62.1 billion. And the deficit for the month of October came in at 63.1 billion, which was higher than the downwardly revised number for September, but a little bit shy of the consensus estimate, which was 64.8 billion. But none of this matters. What matters is that we are printing monthly trade deficits in excess of 60 billion dollars. This is massive monthly deficits. I mean, think about that. Multiply that by 12. This is an enormous shortfall. I mean, Donald Trump was elected president criticizing our trade deficits, saying that he was going to make America great again by shrinking or eliminating these trade deficits. Instead, they are bigger than ever, and they're only going to get worse. And in fact, if you think about what's likely to happen to the U.S. economy in the first year of the Biden administration, you're going to see even fewer Americans on the job. You're going to have more and more incentives not to work and to stay home. And so Americans are going to be importing more products than ever before because we're going to have to make up for a bigger shortfall because more and more people are going to be sitting at home spending government money. They're not going to be out in the workforce helping to produce stuff. They're just going to have money trying to buy stuff. And so more of the stuff they're buying is going to have to be imported from the people in other countries who are actually showing up and doing work. Uh, So these deficits are just going to go higher. And as the dollar goes down, what a lot of people just don't get is that a falling dollar means the trade deficits go up because now as the dollar goes down, we need more dollars to pay for our imports. So a weakening dollar actually worsens our trade deficits. So if you combine fewer people working uh, with more people spending and they're spending dollars that have less value, which means you need more of them to pay for the imports, Uh, this number is going to go off the charts. As a public person, I am hyper aware of safety and security. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online, and it makes sure it stays offline. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web, and in the process, helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their ex 
experts will take it from there. Delete Me sends you regular personalized privacy reports showing what information they found, where they found it, and what they removed. Delete Me isn't just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information that you don't want on the internet. So take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now at a special discount for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com gold and use the promo code gold at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com gold and enter code gold at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com gold, code gold. We all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge take a moment visit betterhelp.com slash gold today to get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp h-e-l-p.com slash gold traffic jams tailgating pile-ups oh the joys of driving how could it get worse the federal government wants to have a say in what you drive that's right The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. But of course, it's not just the trade deficits that are going to continue to explode into uncharted territory under Biden, but clearly the budget deficits are going to do the same thing as we get some new spending programs, uh, economic stimulus, uh, to try to offset the other problems in the economy highlighted by today's non-farm payroll report, right? We got the employment numbers for November and the estimate was for 500,000 jobs being created. And again, it's not really that these jobs are being created. They're really being recreated, right? These are jobs that we used to have that were lost because of COVID. And now the businesses are recalling their workers, right? To say we're creating a half a million jobs. I mean, the economy isn't really doing that, right? Where these people were temporarily laid off and now they're they're going back, right? But there were supposed to be 500,000 uh, people really returning uh, to the labor force. Uh, but instead, we only recreated 245,000 jobs. That is a big reduction, not only from what was expected, but from the prior month, which was also downwardly revised from 638,000 to 610,000. That's a big slowdown uh, of the prior month. And in fact, it won't be long before the numbers start having a negative print again. Now, a lot of the pundits were trying to put a positive spin on the number because the unemployment rate has come down to 6.7%, which I think is the lowest it's been 
uh, since COVID. It was 6.9% in the prior month. They were looking for 6.8%. So this 6.7% is supposedly good news uh, because it's lower than was expected. But if you really look beneath the surface, the main driver of the decline is the exodus of Americans from the labor force. About 400,000 people left the labor force in uh, in November. And so if these people were looking for work in the prior month, but now they're, they're not, well, they're no longer considered unemployed. So they're no longer part of that 6.7. Now they're not working, they don't have jobs, so they're not employed. But in order to be unemployed, you have to be actively seeking a job. And if you're not, if you've just detached yourself from the labor force, well, you're no longer in these statistics. And so that is the real driver behind the decline. The labor force participation rate went down from 61.7 in the prior month down to 61.5. That's a 0.2 percentage point decline in one month. That's a lot of people who are no longer in the labor force. And my thinking is that trend is going to continue. I bet that that number is going to break 60% uh, sometime next year. Uh, And and so that's a lot of people that are no longer productive, uh, but that are out there spending, right? The rest of us are going to have to subsidize uh, the people who are not working and and yet who are still consuming. They're not producing, uh, yet they're buying a lot of stuff. And so the rest of us have to support them one way or another. The way it's going to be is through inflation. In fact, I think next year is going to be the year where Americans really uh, begin to experience the cost of all this free government, right? Everything that we got, all the bailouts, all the stimulus, the cost is going to be felt uh, by the average American in his pocketbook because the cost of living is going to go up. Right Right now, it's just stock prices that are going up. And so the people who own stocks are really excited about that. But eventually, it's going to be consumer prices that are going to go up. And everybody's going to have to pay that whether you own stocks or not. The problem is, if you don't have any assets that are going up in value, if the only thing that's going up in value is the cost of the stuff that you need to buy to live, and your paycheck isn't going up. Now, paychecks are rising but they're not going to rise enough. In fact, if you look at the average hourly earnings numbers in uh, the the jobs report, they're up 4.4% year over year. I mean, that's a pretty big jump, right? Obviously, something is driving that. A lot of that is inflation, right? Businesses are paying more. Maybe they have fewer people that they're employing, but they're paying them more, not less. So the cost of, of hiring people is going up cost of everything is going up. I mean, if we really have this weak economy with all these unemployed people, uh, labor should be cheaper, not more expensive. But of course, it's not. The cost of getting people to go to work is going up. In fact, a lot of people would rather not work. They would rather just collect a government check. And so in order to entice people into the workforce, you got to pay up. And so the cost of hiring people is going up, just like the cost of everything else is going to be going up. This is inflation. Right? Or it is inflation that is driving all these price increases. In fact, look at the money supply. My son Spencer just tweeted this out. Hey, by the way, I see he's almost at 20,000 Twitter followers. If you're not now following Spencer Schiff, you should follow him on Twitter. But he showed that money supply M1 was up 25% uh, in the past year. I think this is a record. 
right? We've never seen this much money created in just one year. And you know what? The record's going to get broken next year. In fact, I think we're going to continue to set record after record because this is going to spiral out of control because the only way that the Fed can continue to suppress interest rates, which is something it has to do, given how much debt we have, the only way they can do that is to keep printing more money. But the more money they print, the more upward pressure they put on rates, which means the more money they have to print in the future to contain rates from rising. So they've trapped themselves into a situation that can only end with a complete monetary crisis. Yet despite what should be obvious, but it's not, you're getting a real lack of interest right now in in gold. And I think this really provides an opportunity for, again, for people who do not have enough gold and do not have enough exposure to gold stocks to increase that exposure now. In fact, even when they talk about it, like if you look at CNBC, they barely cover gold. I mean, the only time they mention it now is to contrast it to Bitcoin. In fact, if somebody comes on CNBC and they ask them about gold, or they mention gold, the anchor is going to say, yeah, but isn't gold irrelevant now? I mean, what's the point of buying gold? Because, you know, you could buy Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin is better than gold. It's gold 2.0. So maybe that's the reason that no one's buying gold is because everybody is buying Bitcoin instead, which, of course, they're not. I think it's very interesting that people who have never bought any gold and who don't plan to think other people are buying Bitcoin instead when they're buying neither. And that's because they don't understand gold, they don't understand fiat money, and they certainly don't understand Bitcoin. In the newest season of Wondery's Business Wars, TikTok versus Instagram, they tracked the war between the two social media giants. You know, I just watched this a couple of days ago. And, you know, when I first put it up on my uh, computer, I was a little bit disappointed in the fact that there was no video, right? Because I'm just, you know, I was listening to it on my computer. I'm sitting down, so I'm looking at my computer screen, and I don't see any images. I'm just listening. But after a few minutes, I didn't miss the video at all. I mean, I think they did an excellent job of really creating a picture in my mind, kind of the way I imagine uh, they did with old school radio, you know, back in the 1920s when families would sit around staring at a at a radio, right? Why look at the radio? Because, you know, there's no images, but people would look at it anyway. And I'm staring at my computer, even though there's nothing to look at, but I'm listening to the story. And it also occurred to me that probably most of the people who are listening to these podcasts, they're not staring at their computer. They're driving their car. They're They're, you know, exercising. They're on a bike. They're doing something. So the fact that there isn't a, an image that it's all audio is actually an advantage. But again, they did a very good job of creating an image to go with the story as I was listening to it. And, you know, I think the most interesting thing about the episode, and I don't really want to give too much of it away because you really should just listen to it yourself. It is very, very entertaining, very engaging. But I was very interested in the backstory behind the origins of Instagram. I really didn't know the story. And it was not only interesting, but also, you know, inspirational as far as the entrepreneur in me to, to see how, how the whole thing came about. And I'm very excited now about the next installment because this one focused a little bit more on, on the Instagram and the way it ended. Uh, the, the next one is going to be more focused on TikTok, which I'm also interested in. So, 
I really highly recommend the, the entire thing. You can listen to this newest season of Business Wars, TikTok versus Instagram on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Keeps makes easy and affordable hair loss treatment for men. Look, losing your hair sucks. I know because I lost a lot of my hair when I was young. I remember I started losing my hair in my 20s, and I was very, very concerned. Of course, I had a lot of hair to start, so I had a lot of hair to lose. But at some point along the way, they came up with minoxidil, and so I started using that, and it probably dramatically slowed down my hair loss. The problem was minoxidil was very expensive. It actually, I had a friend of mine who used to ship it into me from Spain because he was getting minoxidil a lot cheaper buying it in Spain than I was because I had to get it through Rogaine here in the States, and it was you know protected. It was under patent or whatever, so it was a very expensive uh, treatment, and they still sell it. Of course, the price has come down now, but you can get the exact same minoxidil in keeps. And now you can keep your hair and you can also keep more of your money. So I continued to use minoxidil on a daily basis to you know, retain the hair that I've got and slow down uh, what I lose, except now I'm using keeps instead of what I was using before. And keeps is a better deal because again, you can keep your money and your hair. The key is though, use it early. The minute you see that you're losing your hair, if you want to keep your hair, then start using keeps because the sooner that you can begin applying it, the more of the hair that you're going to keep and the less of it you're going to lose. So to take action and prevent hair loss today, you can actually get your first month of treatment for free by going to keeps.com gold. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash gold and get your first month of treatment for free. You've got nothing to lose but your hair. And while I don't think there is anybody who is really buying Bitcoin instead of gold, because I think, you know, gold and Bitcoin really have nothing in common. Gold is a uh, safe haven. It's a store of value. And Bitcoin is a highly speculative, you know, digital asset uh, that is not a store of value because it doesn't have value to store and it's certainly not a safe haven. But what I do think may be happening is I do think that there are speculators who might ordinarily be buying gold stocks to speculate on the future price of gold. I think there could be some speculative money flowing into uh, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, GBTC, because people wanna speculate on the price of Bitcoin and they're doing so by buying the Grayscale Trust. You know, if you look at that trust, it's now trading at a 25% premium to the value of the Bitcoins that it actually holds, which I think is a very big premium, especially considering that they charge a 2% a year management fee. You can go buy the Bitcoin yourself, pay no premium and pay no management fee, uh, yet people are buying Grayscale. So I think there's a lot of speculative money that's going in there. In fact, I think this is what's really fueling the entire uh, mania right now because Grayscale is able to create new shares of GBTC and sell them into the market and then take the cash it gets and go into the Bitcoin market and buy Bitcoins and make an instant profit. I mean, Bitcoin right now, as I'm speaking, is about $19,000 per Bitcoin. 
but let's just say it's at 20,000 just because the math is easier for me. But, you know, if if you're trading at a 25% premium, that means they're effectively selling Bitcoin for $25,000 of Bitcoin, right? Every time they create a new share of GBTC and sell it into the market, they're basically getting $25,000 for a Bitcoin. Then they go into the actual Bitcoin market and they buy that Bitcoin for $20,000 and they have a $5,000 profit. They are just printing money. They're making a fortune on this arbitrage by creating and selling shares of GBTC and then using the money and the profits to go into the Bitcoin market and buy Bitcoin. And that buying of Bitcoin is driving the price of Bitcoin higher. Then what they do is they take some of those profits and they use it to fund these ads that they're running on CNBC. I mean, it is nonstop now. Not only did they bring back the Drop Gold campaign, but they're running their new campaign simultaneously. Grayscale has got to be the single biggest advertiser right now on CNBC. I mean, nobody is spending more money than Grayscale on advertisements on CNBC. So they're CNBC's biggest customer. That's probably why CNBC is the biggest promoter of Bitcoin. I mean, I don't know if they've actually got a quid pro quo. More likely, it's just, you know, they understand this. But if you look at CNBC's coverage of Bitcoin, it's all positive all day long. One guest after another. I mean, there isn't an hour that goes by where they don't have some guy on talking about Bitcoin and why it's the new gold and why it's going to 50,000, 100,000 and why every institution is going to buy it and why it's the greatest investment ever. No pushback at all. Nobody challenges them. And they never bring on a Bitcoin bear. I've yet to see one. They haven't brought on a single person on CNBC to say one negative word about Bitcoin. I mean, if you just watch CNBC, you would think the entire investment community is on board with Bitcoin and they all own it. They don't. It is a tiny fraction of the investment world that is even looking at Bitcoin seriously or buying it. Yet you wouldn't think that. Uh, by looking at CNBC. And again, I think the funniest part about it is the main reason that I am not on CNBC and there are not people like me on CNBC is because CNBC, their producers or whoever is you know, pulling the strings there, they think that my ideas are just so far outside of the mainstream that they have no place uh, on their air. Because I used to go on CNBC and say the Federal Reserve... Uh, was making all these mistakes, that we were headed for a dollar crisis, uh, that fiat currency wasn't any good, that you should have gold as a safe haven, you should protect yourself uh, from the Fed, that we have these runaway deficits, we have quantitative ease, we have 0% interest rates, all these things are going to lead to a crisis, and you need to hedge yourself, you need to be in gold. And CBC said, that's ridiculous. The Fed is great. There's nothing wrong with fiat money. The dollar is fine. Telling people to buy gold is nuts. You're crazy. I mean, you're just telling people to buy gold because, you know, you have a gold business and you're just talking your book and we're not going to let you come on CNBC and just try to con people into buying gold because, you know, that's how you make a living, right? So they, they don't let me on. But at the same time, they have people on constantly saying the same thing. Right? You got to get out of dollars. The dollar is going to crash. Hyperinflation, QE, you know, fiat money. But they trash gold and they say you have to buy Bitcoin. But so if you're promoting Bitcoin, then you can come on all you want. They roll out the red carpet. They fawn on your every word. You know, you can have all this gloom and doom stuff so long as 
your investment result is by Bitcoin, right? You can't come on CNBC and say those things and recommend gold, but you can go on and recommend Bitcoin. So that, again, makes me think that there's a lot more going on here. And at the end, this whole thing is going to come collapsing down because at some point uh, that Bitcoin GBTC premium is going to vanish. I think the thing is going to trade at a discount at some point and it's going to be a big overhang on the Bitcoin market, but it's going to stop Grayscale from buying because once the trust is at a discount, they can't issue any more shares anymore into the market. If people want to buy, they'll just buy shares at a discount from other people who are selling. And so that's not going to spill over into the Bitcoin market. And I think then once Grayscale really starts trading at a big discount, that will actually take demand away from Bitcoin. Because if you can buy your Bitcoin at a big discount uh, by buying Grayscale, well, maybe you'll do that instead of going and buying the actual Bitcoin. So all this is going to reverse. And, you know, by the way, you get all these Bitcoin guys that are celebrating the fact that Bitcoin made a new high. It did. It made a new high. But did it break out? No. How long did it stay above the old high? A nanosecond? Again, it's back down at 19,000. It didn't take off. You had all these guys out there that said, oh, the minute Bitcoin makes a new high, 20,000, 25,000, 30,000, it's going to set off a rush of momentum buyers. Where are those momentum buyers? What you Bitcoin guys have got to ask yourself is, Who is doing the selling? You have this massive buying coming out of Grayscale. All this money is being poured in there as a result of this massive pump and dump going on uh, with Grayscale and CNBC. Who's selling? Why didn't Bitcoin go to 25,000? Who stopped it? Somebody is there. Somebody was waiting to sell when Bitcoin made a new high. And so instead of celebrating, maybe people should be a little bit concerned that what we really have here is a giant double top, right? So why don't you put away the champagne, uh, the Bitcoin guys, and let's see if there's actually a breakout here. Let's see if Bitcoin can actually form a base above the old highs. I mean, we haven't even traded 20,000 yet. Right? That, that number still hasn't printed. I mean, we got close, but no cigar. And meanwhile, now we're back below 19,000. So, you know, keep the champagne, you know, away for a while. Keep the corks in the bottles. You know, this is a premature victory because we still don't know if this is a, a double top. It very well might be. And again, I think that all this Bitcoin hype is distracting from the opportunity in gold. All these investors who are misplacing their speculative investments, who are buying Grayscale a trust, instead of buying these gold stocks, they are missing out on a huge opportunity. Not only are they going to lose a lot of money uh, as Bitcoin falls and this Bitcoin trust falls even more because the people that are buying this trust are going to lose more money than the people who are buying Bitcoin because they're paying a 25% premium to buy the trust. That premium is going to turn into a discount and Bitcoin is going to go down. So you're going to lose not only because of Bitcoin, but you're going to lose as your premium becomes a discount. But not only are they going to lose money in in Bitcoin or GBTC, but more importantly, they're going to miss out on the profits that they might otherwise have made if they bought gold stocks instead. On my last podcast, I mentioned the new YouTube channel, Shift Clips, and now we have better than 2,000 people who have subscribed to Shift Clips. But still, considering I have almost 400,000 people who have subscribed to 
my YouTube channel, the fact that 2,000 of them are now on Shift Clips, that's not enough. So if you're listening to this podcast, certainly if you're listening to it on YouTube, take the time to subscribe to Shift Clips. And by the way, I mentioned on an earlier podcast that the video I did, the Sesame Street video, buying Bitcoin is like buying air. Some Bitcoin uh, guy at Sesame Street saw the video and then filed the copyright claim. And so the video got taken down. We put it back up on Shift Clips. So here's your opportunity to see it until Sesame Street uh, or whoever that Bitcoin guy is over on Sesame Street decides to file another copyright claim. So go over there, watch the video very quickly because I love that video. I think it's very funny. And so here's another opportunity to see it. And by the way, copy it. You know, maybe everybody can go and copy what I did and and put it up on their own YouTube channel. And so if there's enough copies out there, well, I mean, they're not going to put in copyright claims on everybody. In fact, it took them years uh, to find mine the first time. So it'll probably take a long time if a lot of other people put it up there. And by the way, this is obviously a Bitcoin thing. It's not a copyright thing. I've looked at other YouTube channels where they copy entire Sesame Street episodes and Sesame Street doesn't say anything. I'm just using a couple of minutes and I've edited it and I've, I've changed it. So in reality, it's fair use. Clearly, it's just a Bitcoiner who doesn't like the fact that I'm comparing Bitcoin to air and he wanted to take my video uh, down. But you should look at it before they take it down again. And again, copy it, put it on your own YouTube channel, get a lot of copies out there. That'll pretty much ensure that it has a long shelf life. I wanna finish up today's podcast though by really honoring a, a hero of mine, somebody who's really, you know, has influenced me since I was in my 20s who passed away uh, this week, Walter Williams died at the age of 84. And, you know, it's kind of ironic, too, that in the year of Black Lives Matter, right, that one of the most important black lives that matters to me died, and that's Walter Williams. I mean, he was not just a great black economist. He was a great economist. He was a great man. The fact that he was black, you know, just made him special in that so few African-Americans were expressing uh, the point of views that he expressed, but he expressed them so eloquently. He was a staunch defender of the values uh, that made America great, of all the principles that this nation was founded on. And he had a really good way of explaining them. I mean, kind of the way I talk in analogies, he came up with a lot of good analogies, uh, both when I heard him uh, speak and when I read uh, his books. And I've had uh, the occasion to speak to Walter Williams uh, several times over the years, and I've met him several times at conferences and 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 always enjoyed his company. But, but more important than that, I mean, he's really been a, a, a shining light, I think, in the, the liberty movement, free market, Austrian economics. And you know the fact that, that he was black, I mean, there's two great free market economists. Walter Williams was one and Thomas Sowell uh, was the other. And I think I remember, I forget if whether it was Walter Williams, I think it was Thomas Sowell who mentioned on an interview that when he spoke to Walter Williams, they joked that they should never both fly on the same airplane because if that happened and the airplane plane went down, the only 
two black uh, conservative economists would be gone. And so that would be too big a tragedy. So to make sure that didn't happen, they should never both fly on the same airplane. But both of those guys, one of the, the things that I think was so special about them is that because they happen to be black, and these guys were great economists regardless of their race, but what made them so special is being black and saying the things that they did, right? It made it much harder for people to attack them as being racist, right? Because both these guys, Walter Williams and Thomas Sowell, are staunch opponents of the, the welfare state, of the great society and war on poverty programs, of these anti-discrimination laws. They don't like any of them, right? And they do an excellent job of explaining why these laws, why these well-intentioned laws are so counterproductive. Now, of course, if a white guy were to make the exact same statements, well, you're a racist, right? Well, you know, you, you, you take that weapon away. If the guy who's making those statements happens to be black, how are you going to say that that person's a racist? Now, I know sometimes they can say, well, they're an Uncle Tom, but maybe that doesn't have as strong a connotation as as uh, as being labeled a racist. So I think it was very important to have these guys out there and to have them as role models, right? So younger African-Americans could look up to these guys and say, you know what? Yeah, they're not all uh, left-wing. They're not all a bunch of socialists. Here's some African-Americans that are free market libertarians that are out there defending individual liberty and the constitution that are objecting. Uh, to all of this, you know, race baiting and poverty pimps and everything that the left is doing, that whole agenda, these guys, Walter Williams and uh, Thomas Sowell, uh, were excellent advocates for the opposite, for the free market. And they and they did a good job of, of exposing the hypocrisy and the fallacies of uh, of the left, and so it's it's such a great loss. I mean, personally and for the nation, uh, that Walter Williams passed away. And I know you know he was 84, uh, so he wasn't a spring chicken. I mean, he died of natural causes, old age. So he had a good life. Um, I just wish he could have had an even longer life. I mean, I think it really is a loss for the world to not have Walter Williams in it. Uh, I wish he could have you know lived to a hundred. Uh, uh, but he didn't. Uh, but the important thing isn't how long he lived, but how well he lived. And the fact that his legacy is going to live on. You know, I'm going to help to make sure that it lives on. And so will a lot of other people. Uh, his books are going to be there. His, uh, you know, you can see him. He's all over the internet. Great speeches that he's given are on, are on YouTube. Uh, and the internet is going to be around, I mean, for hundreds of years, for thousands of years. So Walter Williams will be around. And the key is, you know, for us uh, to keep talking about him and to keep circulating uh, those videos and sharing them with friends and, and reading uh, the books that he's written. I remember the, the first Walter Williams book that I actually read was The State Against Blacks. And uh, that's a great book. It's a, it's it's and it's you know it's a shorter book. It's a very easy introduction. And again, this is a black man writing a book about how the left, how the government is undermining blacks 
with the policies that it is uh, holding out as helping blacks, right? The government, right? We're here to help you. Well, Walter Williams shows how the opposite occurs. The government pretends they want to help, but their help is actually harmful, which is pretty much uh, always the case when it comes to government. But I'm glad that we still have Thomas Sowell and Larry Elder, right? If I'm speaking about black conservatives, libertarians, probably the heir apparent uh, to Walter Williams is Larry Elder. I know Larry and Walter are good friends as well. Uh, Larry Elder, who has hosted the Peter Schiff show, he used to host uh, my radio show um, when I was still doing it. I used him as a guest host. He's the sage of South Central out in Los Angeles. So he can carry the torch too uh, for black conservatives, black libertarians. But again, the fact that these men are black takes nothing away from the fact that they're brilliant economists and that you know they would be brilliant and the things that they're saying would be great regardless of, of their race. It's just that we need African-Americans uh, to espouse these ideas and espouse these principles just, you know, to show that these ideas are, are, have a broad base of support, right? When the left wants to claim that, oh, you only, only somebody who's white, right, could have these thoughts or what, what Biden said, well, you ain't, if you're not voting for me, you ain't black. Well, <laughs> Walter Williams was definitely black and he did not support uh, Joe Biden, and neither does Larry Elder, and neither does Thomas Sowell. So these are examples of black men who don't think the way Democrats think all blacks think. They don't all think alike. They're individuals just like whites. It's this racist mentality that permeates the left to think that just because you're black, you have to have a particular uh, political philosophy. If you're thinking, if you're smart, regardless of your race, you are going to reject that ideology and you're going to embrace the free market. You're going to embrace capitalism and nobody embraced it better than, than Walter Williams. Yeah.